Today, we are going to be talking about what is a normal real estate market. Hi, I'm Heather Laboni with the Tom J. Krieger team, and I'm here with Tom Krieger. And we are going to be talking about what a normal or quote-unquote healthy market looks like. So let's just talk a little bit about our backgrounds. So Tom, you've been in the industry for 40 plus years. So you've seen the ebb and flow of a real estate market. You've seen really good markets. You've seen really trashy markets. You've seen us through the crash. Mm -hmm. And so... Everyone likes to talk about, oh, we're going to be on a bubble or there's going to be a crash or there's this or there's that or we're in a buyer's market or we're in a balanced market, we're in a seller's market. And really, there's a lot of details that kind of go into what is considered a quote unquote healthy or normal market. And then I have been in the industry for about eight years and I got in right after the crash. So I got to see a lot of the things with like short sales and that kind of stuff. So I got to learn all about the the detailed portion of it. And so with that and looking back at the history of of everything, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of what makes a market and what makes a quote unquote normal healthy market. So the first thing we're talking about is interest rates and, and its effect on mortgage and affordability. I am the numbers girl. I do my stats. So I did all the research behind this piece of it. And it's really, really, it was really interesting for me to find out that essentially we are falling into about the same market as we were in the early 80s, 81, 82, when it comes to affordability and kind of the ratio between our interest rates and the affordability index. What is the affordability index and and what does that mean in regards to home buying? Okay. Well, an affordability index is exactly what it says. What percentage of your income will you allocate to the purchase of a home? In in essence, I want to use the term mortgage payment because that's very inclusive, okay? Mm -hmm. So the the affordability index when it comes to purchasing a home is about the same right now as it was in 1981. Now, a lot of people that are buying right now weren't buying, weren't even around in 1981, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of hard for them to fall back to. But what it is is your basic gross income it's the amount of money and usually about 30 to 40% of your gross income you're going to use to make your mortgage payment or it's going to be your housing costs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what happens is that we get ebbs and flows and ebbs and flows. Okay. And some of those ebbs and flows are interest rates. Mm-hmm. Some of those ebbs and flows are availability on the market. So the interest rate may stay the same. But all of a sudden, something changes in society, and there's a ton of inventory on the market, Mm -hmm. okay? Which means that, like normal supply and demand, prices go down for houses, or like we're experiencing right now, a scarcity of homes on the market, so Mm -hmm. prices go up. That's how your affordability index goes up and down. The prices get moved by typical Austrian economics, supply and demand. Awesome. And so... 100. That's what they say. So we see these numbers where it's under 100 or over 100. 100 is your your balanced, healthy number of where you want to be for affordability. It means that median income can afford a median or qualify to afford a median priced house with the normal percentage down. So we're at 75. That is under, under 
that that 100 number. We want to be – this is not one where the lower the number, the better. Right. This is one where like you want – not like my golf score. No, you want that number. <laughs> you want that number higher. Okay. So – and that's actually 14% down from last year this time. So we're, we're, we're seeing this little in, intake down. And if you actually look at the history, we haven't been below 100 since 81. And even when the crash happened in 0506, we balanced at 100. It didn't drop below that line, which was really crazy for me to find out looking at stats. Between the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, it kind of did this little like, wiggle thing where it was a little bit over and a little bit under and a little bit for at least five years. But before that, it was 81, 82, where it dropped to the dramatic low of 65, which I think we might be. And what were interest rates then? Interest rates were 18.36%, and that was in 1981. And they didn't get any better, you know, so they didn't get lower until almost 83. Right. And so I'm going to ask, since you were in that market. Yeah, I've been around since Jesus. Why? What caused that? What helped that change in rate? Okay, so back in the 70s, we were having a large increase in inflation. So the Fed tightened up monetary policy. So they started increasing the cost to borrow money. And obviously, banks aren't going to absorb that. They're going to pass it on to their clients, right? Mm -hmm. So the banks pass on those increased rates. Very similar to what's happening now. But here's the difference. See, when they started to do this, interest rates were around 7 or 8%. Mm -hmm. When we did it now, they were around 25 to 3 So double 7 to 8, you're at 14, 16. Double 25 to 3, you're at five and six. Do you see the, mm -hmm. the correlation of the doubling? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what's happening right now. Yeah. Back then, they raised the interest rates to borrow money from the banks. The banks pass it on to the individuals. What changed that was Ronald Reagan and his tax policies. Now, there's a lot of debate about that. I'm a firm believer that when you give the American people more money, they can keep more. They're going to make a better decision how to spend that money than the federal government is. So what ended up happening is the American people had more money. They were able to make their debt service payments. They also were able to stimulate the economy because we had some kind of, you know, things going on in the automobile industry at that mm -hmm. time and also in the nuclear industry at that time where there are a lot of jobs too. Mm -hmm. So Tax cuts is what really started to create the change. And then the money supply, I believe, and I could be wrong here, but it was Volcker that was back there, and Volcker was releasing mm -hmm. the stranglehold on the Fed rates mm -hmm. and started bringing them back down. We started bringing inflation back down, kind of similar to what's happening right now. I think mm -hmm. the most current read, the last read was only 3% year over year, which is great compared mm -hmm. to the 9% we had you know, eight mm -hmm. or nine months ago. Yeah. Okay. Hey everyone, we want to interrupt this episode to let you know that we are a Keller Williams Southern Arizona franchise. We are also realtors practicing equal housing. Now let's get you back to the podcast. That brings up a great thing. You were talking about doubling of rates. So I did some math because yep. that's my thing. That's what you do. And where are rates right now? So if you can guess about off the top of your head, we're at the 6.8, just just under 7 range, correct, for yeah, interest six, rates? 6.75 if with a good credit score. So, so if you actually take the all of the interest rates over the course of the last 52 years, so since mm -hmm. 1971, and you add them all together and you divide them, 
Our statistical average across the last 52 years is a 7.71%. Yep. So we haven't even hit the statistical average over the last 50 years for interest rates. So those who are saying we have a really high interest rate, it's high because we don't know any better. But if you look back at the data, we aren't really high. We are still actually below the statistical average, which means we just have to learn how to be a little more financially savvy mm-hmm. to be able to understand where we are in a market. And when we do balance or we do get the income or influx of funds, if that does happen, we are spending them more wisely rather than just spending it on things like nails and clothes. We're spending it on things like our bills and making sure we're paying down debt. All of this talking about interest rates and the affordability index, trying to learn a little bit about what a normal market is, opened my eyes to really the the problem the problem is is us we need to know the knowledge behind why we are where we are and how do we what do we do to kind of help ourselves understand the adjustments that need to be made yeah so i want to put a little caveat to what you said about the 7.7 percent as being an average that's those numbers are great what we need to factor in though in the affordability index right now is the black swan event we had in 2021 and 22 with COVID. Mm-hmm. that through prices astronomically high compared to a normal increase because over the last 10 years, the average home price has gone up 7.7%. Now that's including 20, 21, and 22. But the last 23 years, the average was 4.7%. So it almost doubled in that 10-year period of time just because of the massive increase we had in property values. Okay, So 7.7% on a $500,000 home, the impact on the buyer on that is a lot different than 7.7% on a $43,000 bungalow in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You see the difference there? Absolutely. I think that what hurts America and hurts our public right now is that our wages haven't increased and our taxable liability to the government has increased. Mm-hmm. So there's not as much disposable income out there. Absolutely. So as we talked a little bit about interest rates, we talked about the affordability index, and you just touched right there on the home prices and year-over-year increase and how that that gap over the the COVID phenomenon created just a bigger gap in regards to affordability. Almost a doubling of the increase per year. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the basics behind a market, you know, the things that us as real estate agents, we understand, which are things like your days on market and your absorption rates and all of that. What does that have to do when we're leaning towards maybe a buyer's market or a seller's market versus a balanced or healthy market? Okay. So we use days on market as an indicator how how a market is, whether the market is a buyer's market, a seller's market, or like you said, a normal market or Mm -hmm. historically normal market. Usually in in our marketplace, we look at 30 days or less on the market, that's a seller's market. If it's between 60 and 90 days, it's usually a normal market. If it's over 90 days, it's usually a buyer's market, okay? And what that means is that there's more inventory on the market then there are buyers to buy the property. And why is that? Because the buyers are not seeing the value that's out there in the marketplace right now. That's what creates a buyer's market is when the buyers go, nope, I'm not paying $157,000 for that 
$80,000 home. Mm -hmm. You may want that much money for it, but I'm not paying that. It isn't any different than, I mean, Cadillac, if you buy a Cadillac, they could charge $250,000 for a Cadillac, right? Doesn't mm -hmm. mean anybody's going to buy it. Yeah. Right? Same thing with your house. So a buyer market only, it really indicates what the sellers are asking versus what the buyers are willing to pay. Absolutely. Now, change that around and say a seller's market is when sellers are selling their house at a price buyers are willing to pay. What causes a buyer to be willing to pay more for a house this year than it was last year? Supply, the amount of homes that are out there. Right now, if we doubled the amount of homes that we had on the market, we'd see more of a normalized market or even we'd start creeping into a buyer's market because there'd be enough inventory out there. And again, it's, I, as I use it, it's Austrian economics, supply and demand, right? Absolutely. Not enough homes for sale, seller's market. Too many buyers, buyer's market. And so when we talk about that, when we talk about the, the, the inventory, that also gives you your absorption rate. You know, we know that when the crash happened, there is about 5 million homes that needed to be made that didn't get made. So we have this big gap we're trying to, to clean up. But because of that, our absorption rates have been extremely low in a lot of markets. I know here we're only at a 1.8, which is means that you know, only less than two months of homes. If everything got sold on the market, we'd only have homes for sale for the next two months. And then we'd be, you know, at homes, at homes. Yep. So, so when you're talking about, so we talked a little bit about days on market defining what the market is. When we go to the absorption rate, that also is a completely different definition of what, what a normal market is. So what would a normal market or a buyer's market or a seller's market be in regards to our absorption rate? Well, absorption rate, just to, to me, is just another fancy way of saying how many days on the market is my home going to sit? How many houses are being absorbed by the buyers? Or how many houses are flooding the market so the buyers can't absorb the houses that are out there, right? Which a lot of that happened during the crash, too. Exactly. There was just a mass amount of homes that came on the market in a really short period of time, which made it real easy for buyers to find what they wanted. And the truth of the matter on that one is the banks held back probably 50% of the ones they could have put on the market because they were all foreclosed on them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now it's totally different. In fact, the projections were that I heard from a pretty reputable source was that for the next five to 10 years, we're going to be one to 1.5 million homes short every year. Even if we produce the amount of homes we were producing five years ago, oh. because we're having an influx now of millennials coming out to wanting to buy right? Mm -hmm. We're having immigration issues where people are going to start buying houses. Eventually, mm -hmm. the government is, are going to allow the migrants that are in the country to be able to work. Once they're able to work and able to get a paycheck, they're very good. Migrants are very good at saving money, okay? Mm -hmm. They like to squirrel money away. And by squirreling that money away, because they're very good in savings, they'll be able to buy a house quicker than I think the average American. Now, that's a personal opinion, mm -hmm. but I really believe that we're going to have even a greater demand in housing and probably multi-generational housing. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the absorption rate, to get back to your question, the absorption rate for a seller's market is 30 days or less. Mm -hmm. For a buyer's market, it's 90 days or long. Between 30 days and 90 days is the sweet spot. For that days on market. Yep. All in all, I think the point we're getting to here when everyone talks about a normal market or a healthy market, yeah. 